0: The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I want to tell you about a time when uh, I was in fourth or fifth grade, and I had a brilliant idea. Not my best idea, but it was brilliant at the time. I decided to bake a cake for one of my parents' birthday. I'd never done that before, but I rushed home from school before my parents got home from work and I grabbed a cookbook and I dived in and I got all the ingredients and poured them all around and stuff. Um, Many of it landed on the floor as well. and, and I was doing pretty well and I got in the book to the place where it said baking soda and I had no idea what that was and it only asked for a little bit and I didn't know if we had any. So I just said, ah, who cares? I won't add that. I just added extra sugar and then <laughs> tossed it into the oven and turned it on and felt I would needed a reward. So I went and started watching TV and kind of lost track of the time. And about the time my mother walks in the door, she says, what is that smell? And I said, oh my God. And she goes in and sees the disarray in the kitchen And and we take out the pan, and there's this slate-thin, rock-hard piece of something in there that uh, nobody would ever want to try to eat. And I learned a couple of life lessons that day. Number one, stay out of the kitchen. That's one I've been adhering to pretty successfully. And the other is, don't forget the essential ingredients. In this life, the ingredient I forgot was the leavening uh, ingredient that would lift things up. Uh, Today, we continue with our spring renewal program, our theme being the resurrection of heart. It's really a wonderful opportunity for this four part series that culminates on Easter Sunday to lift up the, the metaphysical and powerful meanings of the Easter story for people of all faiths. And especially then to highlight that the mission of that great teacher was to help us understand the most essential ingredient in life. And that is love. And that that is born of the heart. Now you see that great teacher really, uh, despite a lot that's said out there, his mission wasn't about the resurrection of his soul. I mean he'd already taught that the kingdom of God is within. And, and he'd already taught that, that we're immortal my Father's house are many dimensions. And so really what he was about was the resurrection of heart in this world. That's what he was about. He was passionate that we all bring the gift of a greater dimension of being called our hearts. And that the world needs this. And the fulfillment of our own personal lives requires the bringing forth of the gift of our heart. Now we face... Lots and lots of challenges Uh, in this interesting world of ours, these interesting times. You know, uh, divisiveness seems to be increasing, Uh, change is accelerating, pressures are mounting, and just the veritable speed at which many of us rush through our lives. I mean, if God were a traffic cop, we'd all get pulled over for speeding, I think, in this life. And then it seems that there 's so much volatility uh, in in our culture and and around the world as well, a um, lot more dysfunction and and imbalanced people acting horrifically in the world and As we take all this in, I was reminded of a study that I ran across when I was in college because one of the I thought I wanted to be a psychologist in college, but then Um, something deeper um, moved within me. But at any rate, um, as I was working on that, completing that major, I I took a course, and they talked about this experiment where they had a big cage, and they put a bunch of rats in there. And they created an ideal environment for the rats in this large cage. And uh, the rats were doing fine. And they were multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And then all of a sudden, they started altering the environment. Not only did the population increase which is a big challenge that's upcoming upon our planet, but the population increased. And then they started um, blaring with loud music. And then they started doing strobe-like kind of changes to the lighting. And, and what happened? And, and then they started um, withholding food at times and, and things like that. And then the, the, the mouse population, the rats, they started um, becoming chaotic. And then eventually they even began to feed on one another. Uh, and, and I thought about that and thought, you know, our world is getting similarly chaotic and it seems like um, in a way we're at each other so much. And yet that great teacher and other enlightened masters have come along to tell us that there is this something that we can bring forth as the ultimate antidote to all of that. And that is the heart. And as we shared last week, what's really being called for in these times is a higher dimension of mindfulness called heartfulness, which is being fully present and with an open heart and with compassion. So our topic then in this second installment uh, is the miracles of heart. And i got to tell you right from the get-go that I know directly, unwaveringly, absolutely of my own experience that the opening of the heart Produces miracles. I know that. From my personal experience, there's absolutely no doubt that miracles are available to all of us. And I'll talk more about that a little later. But I also want to uh, reference some exciting material that's in a book uh, of Joe Dispenza's, and we've had him here several times, Joe Dispenza. uh, And it's called Becoming Supernatural. Becoming Supernatural, how common people are doing the uncommon. Now Joe dispenses an inspiration in and of himself how he healed his spine through his own visualization. He was also a scientist and a chiropractor but uh, he had had a horrific bicycle accident and he rather than getting all the surgeries uh, visualized his spine as whole and healed and now he's gone on to look at all the greater extended possibilities of the mind and the heart in people. And I think this latest book of his Becoming Supernatural is his best. In it he shares a lot of the current research about the power of the heart and it is so wonderful that this ageless wisdom about the heart is now getting scientific validation in research and he quotes his own research but also that of the heart math institute who for several decades have been doing a lot of this research and other people as well and it kind of gets complicated at, at times in the book but the bottom line is that the heart, and this is being proven scientifically as well as spiritually, the heart is the most powerful and intelligent center that we have. Now when we learn that and we see that most of the time we guide our lives by our heads, as does most of humanity, then we can understand how we can get off course so easily. When we are given this deeply profound intelligent center called the heart, which is really supposed to be the leader of our lives. Now, I loved it when he he said that the, the chakra centers within our body, the seven major chakra centers, he said the heart is the intersection between the lower three, which relate to our earthly walk and our earthly bodily energies, and the upper three, which relate to the higher self or the spiritual dimension in you and me. And it's the heart that is the bridge between those centers, and what I loved was, here a scientist comes out and says, it is the heart that is our connection to the unified field. Now that's a term that quantum science has come up with to describe the, the infinite universal consciousness or intelligence out of which all matter and all form emerge. That ultimately reality is invisible consciousness called the unified field or the field of pure potentiality. And what Joe and others are saying is that it is the heart in every one of us that is our connection into this unified field. Now we have been teaching around here for a long time that every one of us is an individualized center within the infinite mind. An individualized free thinking center within the infinite mind. And this is exactly what we are being told when we understand that it is through the heart that we access this field of limitless intelligence. Which is also why... I'm getting excited about this stuff, by the way. Which is also why they have shown that the heart is precognitive. The heart knows what's coming down the pike to you many seconds before your brain or your body know. So there's a part of you that's hanging out in a greater field of knowingness. But if you've got that heart closed and constricted, you're not getting access to that deep wisdom and that great power. So what they call that openness is coherence, the heart coherence. And when we have a coherent heart, then that balances all of the other energy centers in our being. Joe Dispenza writes about this as the heart bridge. He says, It's our bridge to greater levels of awareness and energy, as well as the center where our divinity begins. Yeah, right here in the heart. It serves as our connection to the unified field and represents the union of duality or polarity. Meaning, it's in the heart that we resolve all the pairs of opposites and we arrive at unity. When you are in a heart-centered state, the wholeness you feel consumes any feelings you may have of want and lack. From this creative state of wholeness and oneness, magic begins to happen in your life because you're no longer waiting for something outside of you to provide relief from the internal feelings of lack, emptiness, or separation. Instead... You are becoming more familiar with your new ideal self and creating new experiences of yourself. Such a powerful center. It's not just this mushy little place, oh, I feel a little romantic love. No, no, no. It's a powerful bridge into the infinite and to our greater capacities. But the thing that makes us incoherent or the heart incoherent is stress. Stress. Stressors of various kinds, the kinds I mentioned that are so rampant nowadays, but also how debilitating it is to hang out in perpetual states of resentment or anger or jealousy or or fear or frustration or impatience. Those are all very catastrophic debilitators that they... they Make it difficult for the body to maintain its homeostasis, they're saying. And also, it begins to draw from the invisible energy field that surrounds every one of our bodies. And it saps us of the vital life force. But I think, even more tragically, when we live with an incoherent or closed heart, we cut off our higher creativity. And that's what's so exciting is how the heart it plays a key role in our ability to be creators in this life, as we are designed and destined to be. So he talks about this. He says, in order to create a new future, whatever your future dream might be, in order to create a new future, a person needs to marry a clear intention, which means a coherent brain, a clear intention with an elevated emotion, meaning a coherent heart. HeartMath Institute's research has proven that by combining an intention or thought with a feeling or emotion, we can change our biological energy. And when we change our energy, we change our lives. And we begin living in a new future, living as the creators of our reality. How exciting is that? Just as though this sense of practicing elevated emotions, not waiting for things out there to make you happy or grateful, but activating those higher levels of energy, it creates a new emotional baseline for your life. And when you have that new emotional baseline, it sponsors or draws forth higher thoughts. And so you find yourself in a whole new way of being whereby you're not a puppet of the world in terms of what you feel. You're choosing your feelings aligning them with a high vision and becoming a powerful co-creator or manifesting what we around here called Christ consciousness. We believe that the great teacher wanted to awaken us to the anointed part of us all. That he didn't come here to be the only Christ but to awaken the level of awareness called Christ consciousness where we are partnering with God for the further evolution of all of life on our planet. How powerful and beautiful is this? Miracles of the heart I love it I love it, I love it, I love it so I want to share with you the kinds of bridging out of old feeling states and into new ones that will produce the kinds of miracles that we are seeking, the first is to the miracle of going from fear to faith from fear to faith through the opening of our hearts we can sense that we're not as weak as we may have assumed ourselves to be. That we have a deep courage. That very word courage comes from the root word of heart. That there's a courage in us. And as our heart energy starts presencing, we begin to consider that we could do things we didn't used to think we could do. That we don't have to be constricted by our fears. We can have a deep and abiding faith in ourselves, and in the life energy working through us, from fear to faith. I read a a newspaper article about a couple who were unable to conceive their own baby, and so they decided to adopt. And so they chose to adopt from a poorer country uh, to do some additional good in the world, and they were delighted in a couple of months to have a new child, a two-year-old baby boy from India, a beautiful baby boy, But in the months that ensued from that, they found out that this baby boy faced some very grave challenges, physical challenges. First of all, they discovered he was nearly totally deaf and that he would be most of his life. Then they later discovered that he had cerebral palsy, which wouldn't affect his intelligence, but it would uh, affect his mobility and his ability to get around. And so they dealt with that. First of all, they taught him and learned themselves sign language, interpreting, so that they could communicate. And then they eventually, once he was old enough to begin to move around, got him a small wheelchair so he could move, learn to be mobile. And then they also formed a support group of other parents who had adopted children with disabilities. But then they went to another level because they didn't want their precious child to feel isolated. They wrote a letter back to that agency in India and asked if they could adopt another child who is deaf. Now imagine that response. You've adopted a child and you discover that child is deaf and crippled. And instead of hanging out in fear and self-pity, you actually ask for a second child like that. And the newspaper clipping shows these two children hugging, radiant together and hugging. Yeah, the heart shows us a greater power within us. And we can reclaim a faith in ourselves and a faith in our God. Oh, another miracle is that we can go from judgment to joining. And so much judgment, harsh Biting, cutting judgment is typical, isn't it? And yet what the world is so yearning for is, is to come together. is to transcend the judges and, judging and, and, and join at the level of heart, together. And we can all be a part of that. As we open our own hearts, then we can become forces to transcend the common judgments and join. bring in a unifying. One of my favorite authors, who's also a minister, is Robert Fulghum, And it was one of my favorite stories he tells is about a wedding that he officiated at that was rather fraught. And any of us who are ministers know that some of our most interesting stories have happened at weddings. They're very interesting things. Well, this one, he writes, was a wedding between a lovely young Jewish girl of Polish descent from Brooklyn, and a tall, handsome Irish Catholic boy from Detroit. Now it gets more dicey. The bride's family boasted a rabbi and a cantor, and the groom's family boasted a couple of priests and a nun. But he writes, But Mrs. Brooklyn and Mr. Detroit were 21 years old and overwhelmed with love, and love they were quite certain could find a way through any obstacle." Well, so they decided on having Fulgham do the service because he was very interdenominational, as are we. And they were going to keep it small, but the list kept growing and growing until they realized they had to invite their entire family. So they had to make each one of them the fateful call to let their parents know of their impending marriage. And they both heard this phrase, You're marrying a What? You're marrying a what? And then both families initially refused to attend the wedding. And Fulgham writes, Not that the bride and groom were unmoved. They spent a lot of time in my office. The bride bawled. The groom swore. But the marriage was meant to be, for the couple had an invisible shield, love, and secret weapons, a sense of humor, light hearts. Plus, they came from tough, resilient folks who had made it the hard way and had always told their kids not to back off when they believed in something. The kids were doing exactly what their parents had taught them to do. They believed in each other, and that was that. The tiebreaker in this standoff was the grandmother of the groom. By God, if her only grandson was getting married, even to a you-know-what, she was going to be there for the sake of the unborn great-grandchildren who would need her. <laughs> so when she dived into attending, the dominoes began to fall, and everybody else said they would, really were going to attend. And he writes, The wedding began to shape up like a grudge match between Notre Dame and Jerusalem Tech. <laughs> <laughs> and then the meddling, the meddling began. The grandfather rabbi begged to be allowed to say a traditional blessing in Hebrew at the end of the service. Well, when the Irish Catholics got wind of this, nothing would do but to have grandmother, who had done light opera in her past, to have her sing the Ave Maria during the service. And then one side wanted incense burned, and the other wanted to have some wine in the ceremony and then break the goblet. And the bride and groom could do nothing but nod their heads and smile and say, whatever, whatever. So it came the wedding day. And he says, the families dug in on either side of the aisle, but the love of the couple was so palpable and so obvious. It came to their vows. And they looked deeply into each other's being, and they spoke them with such heart. The bride began to weep. And the groom took her in his arms, and he wept too. And Fulger writes, well, the whole church was awash in tears. I've seen wet weddings before, but this was a communal bath. <laughs> the whole thing ground to a halt while everybody had a good cry, myself included. And then 73-year-old grandma sang Ave Maria with incredible passion, magnificent. She got a standing ovation from the Brooklyn Jews. And then Grandfather Rabbi laid a blessing on the couple that was equally incredible, and he got a standing ovation from the Irish Catholics. Then the wedding was finished, and they went to the reception, and there was a polka band there, and the couple danced then. Grandfather Rabbi asked Grandmother Opera to dance. And everybody roared and joined in. The healing was complete. And Fulgham writes, In the end, the bride and groom had been right. Love is more powerful than prejudice. When love is allowed in, it prevails over just about anything. Epilogue. A year later, close to the couple's first anniversary, I received a postcard mailed from a cruise ship in the Caribbean. From the bride and groom, I assumed... But no, it was from the parents of the bride and groom who had become great friends and were cruising together. How we can open our hearts and go from judging to joining, a miracle that we need more of. And then we also can experience the miracle of going from powerlessness to purpose to open our hearts and dissolve that something that says, I really am insignificant. I don't matter. And everything is too big for me, including my own dreams. But to open the heart and let this wonderful something called passion come forth. Ah, oh, that, is, that is something that says, I don't know how, and I may not even yet know What? But with an open heart, I sense that I'm here for a purpose. If you want to find your purpose, you got to hang out in and open your heart. Because that's where it is. Your real purpose, your sole purpose, abides in the heart. In the late 70s, I met a lady who had become a legend. And I was so grateful to get to meet her. She became known as Peace Pilgrim. Uh, And her name is Mildred Lissette Norman. Uh, And she had been troubled by all the conflict and violence in the world. And mostly she just fretted about it. And we all tend to do that a little bit. But then all of a sudden inspiration from her heart emerged. And she decided that she could do something. That her purpose would be just to walk for peace. So in 1953... She decided to walk, and she walked 5,000 continuous miles zigzagging across the country. And when she was finished, she decided just to not stop. And for the rest of her life, she crossed the country seven times. In addition, she covered all 50 states, walking in each one of them, the 10 Canadian provinces and parts of Mexico. She walked for more than 25,000 miles as a statement for peace. What one person can do. In her last interview, before she passed, she said, it's an effort to do everything one little person can do for peace. I walk prayerfully and as an opportunity to talk with many people and perhaps inspire them to do something for peace also in their own way. This is the way of peace. Overcome evil with good and falsehood with truth and hatred with love. You see, I love people and I see the good in them. To open our hearts and experience the miracle of going from powerlessness to purpose. And then finally, there's one other miracle that I can't have us leave without realizing. And it's going from isolation to intimacy. And that's where my story comes back in. Because I got to uh, my early 30s, and though I was an okay guy and a minister by then and um, well-schooled and everything... Still, I had a closed and protected heart. And as I write about in my book, through a wounding, I was able to find my way to the heart and with some support, open my heart chakra. And everything in my life changed. All of a sudden, intimacy was not this terrible, awful thing. But it was the most beautiful connecting and joining that I could ever imagine. And I credit every good thing in my life with that opening of the heart. Everything. My beautiful wife, I don't think I'd have been in the space to allow her into my life if I hadn't had that. Adopting my boys and, and, and our incredible grandchildren and all of you and in this incredible community that I've been so privileged to serve these twenty five years as your senior minister, I can't even imagine. I tell you, are you willing to be intimate with life? You feel cut off, disenfranchised. It starts here at the heart. It's not about them, it's not about the past. It starts with the heart. Have the courage to open the heart. I close with one last vignette that touches my heart. It's about a man named George who was up there in age, and his family put him in a nursery home and then abandoned him. They never ever came to visit him. And he turned within. I mean, he just became insular. He refused to talk to anybody. He never left his room. He did bathe and feed himself, but the rest of the day, he would just sit in a rocking chair and gaze out the window. It's all he did every day. Well, one of the other residents in this home, Maggie, decided to come visit with him, and she'd come in and pull up a rocking chair and just sit there and talk. He never would respond. He never said a word. And she liked to do quilting, so she brought in a quilt, and she, she would talk to him, And she had been in vaudeville in the day and so she had a million stories to tell and so she just had a wonderful time sitting there telling all these stories and George simply, without responding, gazed out the window. Well, she finished her quilt and it was so beautiful they hung it in the lobby of the place. About a week later, blessed George passed over. And as they were cleaning out his room in his nightstand, they found a letter, an envelope that said, to be opened when I die. And they opened it And there were simply five words on a little slip of paper. Tell Maggie I love her. And when they told Maggie she wept and wept and wept because she too loved George. And she'd made that quilt for him. And that's why George was buried, wrapped in Maggie's quilt. And you know, there's something wrapping around you and me. It's It's this wonderful divine love that enfolds us and wraps us and and wants us to have the courage to know that it's being an instrument of heart that is the key to our greatness and the solution to every personal and collective problem we face. I'm here to tell you today that you are so wonderful because you are heart. Warm that. Activate that. Because the miracles you seek are your heart.